Acts today. I hope you brought your Bibles and you're ready to turn to several passages of them as we study on biblical leadership. And particularly, uh, we'll look at elders, deacons, and then the role of the members of the church this morning. What a blessed time this is. We're so grateful that God is raising up uh, men to serve the Lord and to help lead. We look, for, look forward to many, many more. Let's ask the Lord to bless his word now. Father, thank you for the word of God. It gives us instruction for matters of church government. Lord, there is much, much clarity on how you want your church led and operated. And we thank you that this church for many, many years has sought to believe the Bible. To sought to use it as the manuscript of how to care for your church. And we thank you that we can study it, apply it, and live by it. So this morning, as we remind ourselves of the great ecclesiological truths of the Bible, the great doctrine of the church, that we would learn again of how you want it operated and see that this is such an important thing that you would have this written down for all of time. And Lord, help us support leaders. Help us even examine our own selves this day that we might see if God is calling us into some type of ministry to serve you in a greater way. Lord, we ask that you would encourage us and stir all of our hearts this time. We do thank you for Andrew and Blake. We thank you for stirring in their hearts, provoking them to come to the elders and seek a ministry uh, that is really a dedication of life of serving others. And so, Lord, bless them, their families, their wives, their children, Lord. Father, thank you for heritage, too, that we see in these families. Father, be with those who couldn't be with us today. Many are at home online, been through procedures or surgeries of some sort, Lord. We hurt with them. There are some that have recently been in some wrecks and some accidents, Lord. We pray that you would protect them. Lord, thank you for loving us. Thank you for letting us be your children. Thank you for being such a great father to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning I want to talk to you about church leadership, and now that we've installed these two elders here, I want us to, uh, to examine the doctrine of ecclesiology when it comes to really church government. Ecclesiology is the doctrine of the church, and, and it must be taught regularly from the pulpit, from BFGs, Sunday school classes, from small groups. It must be taught regularly, because... So many churches really teach a very confusing view of who leads and who doesn't and who can and, and who's qualified or not, and some don't even talk about it at all. Well, roughly about four years ago, with the full consent of the membership of Riverbend Community Church, we became a biblically elder-led church. This had been the goal of Riverbend for many, many years, and God has given me and ministry partners the privilege of seeing this through and with the lord's right to sift and which he has and does we now have called qualified and equipped nine elders who are your pastors and elders seven deacons now who faithfully shepherd the lord jesus christ church at here here at riverbend well this morning i will look at what the bible says about elders deacons and members of Riverbend Community Church. It is very clear. And as we go through this, we want to learn so that we understand um, the church is growing. Um, people are coming in from uh, maybe different uh, church government types. So it's really important that once a year or so, if not more, we stop and look at these things. So I pray that this will be uh, encouraging to you as we look at these two offices and the role of the membership. Number one, called, qualified, and equipped elders who lead Christ's church. You'll see there's several references. I'll be bouncing in and out of those. But we're going to start in 1 Timothy chapter 3. By God's design, not man's, we need to make sure we're clarified here. By God's design, the church depends on faithful leadership. This is how God has laid it down. He's always done this. Even as we go back to the nation of Israel, we find God establishing faithful leaders, Moses and Joshua and so forth. But he established these in order to have his people be strong and healthy and loving and productive and fruitful. That's the goal. 
Leadership is to lead people to a Christ-centeredness and the joy and the privilege of all the things that come with that. The Word of God clearly teaches that God has given elders to each local congregation. We're going to focus on elders first here. He's given them. They're a gift to them. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12 and so forth in there tell us that God gave. He gave these leaders to the local assemblies. It is a gift from God. And they are to oversee and lead and shepherd God's people. Well, if you're in 1 Timothy chapter 3, look at verse 1 with me. Here Paul writing to Timothy who's been sent to pastor the church in Ephesus, says this. It is a trustworthy statement. Now look at this. If a man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. Now there's a lot of things that jump out to us in this passage. Right off the bat with today's attack on the church of male and female roles, um, we want to be clear here. The Greek is crystal clear. That God has given the role of eldership and deacon to males. That's the role he's given. He has not given me the gift of childbirth. (laughs) I'm very grateful for that. (laughs) Just like you might be very grateful that you're not standing in this pulpit today. God uniquely gifts his people to bring unique gifts through men and women in different ways to glorify his name. And yet this is one that he calls to men. And so men, listen up today. Because God's speaking to you. The Bible says here it's a trustworthy statement. This means this is something to be considered, to think through, not to take lightly. If any man aspires to the office, a lot of people aspire. There are lots of people who would love to stand in this pulpit and tell everybody what they think about everything, right? There's a lot of people who desire titles. They want letters behind their names or something in front of their names. They, they like authority and they like a power. They like telling people what to do. Well, this is not the aspiration the Bible is speaking of. Notice it says, if anyone aspires the office of overseer. There's one of three terms that are used in the Bible that speaks about an elder. We have the word elder, always used in plurality, unless it's speaking of this singular qualifications of that individual man, but it's always used in plural. Then you have overseer, which we have here. This is a management of God's things, overseeing all of that. And then you have the word shepherd, primero, which is often translated pastor or shepherd. This is what this trustworthy statement's about. Does a man aspire to this office? of overseer, but it's not just the office, it's not just the position, it's not just the title of the authority that comes with it. Notice what he says, it is a fine work he desires to do. And that's the difference right there. Do elders aspire to the work of the ministry? This is what really separates the contenders from the pretenders. It's work. Chasing the ministry will cost you everything you have (laughs) a lot of times. It's the work of the ministry that God calls us to. It's the work of oversight and care. It's the work of taking on false prophets and false teachers and and beware of the dogs. It's the work of, of laying your life down and caring for somebody else and shepherding somebody through difficult issues. It's a work of giving up of yourself for the cause and glory of Jesus Christ and the betterment of the flock. See, that's the work of the ministry. Elders are charged with a constant self-examination. We can't just run off and spend a year away from the Lord. (laughs) Not thinking about Him and not examining everything through our own hearts. Elders are constantly under their own self-examination because we stand in pulpits, we stand in Sunday school classes, we counsel away, and we can't sit there and tell you to do something we're not doing. It's called what? Hypocrisy. So there's a constant self-examination that goes with this. There's a constant protection of the flock. Turn with me to Acts chapter 20 real quick. Acts chapter 20. Paul has made his way down to Ephesus. 
oh, he's making his way, he's making his way to Rome, but he stops in a, in a port. And the elders of Ephesus make their way down to meet with him. And one of the greatest passages on elders is Acts chapter 20, and I'm just going to look at a, a portion of it. I invite you to read that if you can de- begin to believe that God is calling you further. But in Acts chapter 20, verse 28 through 31, the verses say this, Be on guard for yourself. Remember I told you there's constant examination? Paul tells the elders that are the oversight, men that he probably trained, put in that position, he says, be constantly guarding yourself. But that's not all. Not only do we keep track of our own hearts and minds and our walks with the Lord Jesus Christ, but but for all the flock, for all of you, we pray for you by name. We work our way down through membership lists. We, we talk of how you're doing and how we can enhance your love for Jesus more. We, we think of you and pray for you. You're constantly on our minds. This is what Paul tells them to do. Look at this next thought, very important. Among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Isn't that interesting? How did a pastor get in this position? Was he just gifted? Well, that's a problem. There's been a lot of gifted men that go through television, right? And they're extremely gifted, and they can get you to give millions of dollars. But in the end, a few years later, they're crying on TV because they slept with their secretary. They were never qualified or called. They were just simply gifted. See, it is the Holy Spirit here that uniquely calls and makes overseers. It is the Spirit of God that pushes you through the study of God's Word, through the love of Christ. He pushes you to move towards the calling of leadership. This is what he's done in Andrew and Blake's life. And notice it's not just to take a position, it's to shepherd the church of God. Look at this, which he purchased with his own blood. So this is taking care of somebody else's people that paid the ultimate price. A church purchased with blood. It's not easy because there's problems even inside the church. Verse 29, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And notice this, and from among your own selves, men will arise. It happens happened here one of the hardest things I've ever been through see it's it's a warning this is not to be taken lightly this is this is a serious calling this is where God puts a lot of weight towards he watches over it carefully We're we're tending his flock not our own we are not to prey upon them in any way and yet so often that's what we see pastors and elders do Notice these people will speak perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. They're not Christ-centered, they're man-centered. And I invite you to work very hard to see the difference between men who handle the word of God who are Christ-centered versus man-centered. And they may say all the right stuff, but if you watch closely and listen with a heart, you'll hear them. They'll be drawing you to themselves. Therefore, verse 31, be an alert. Remember I told you, constantly alert. Elders are constantly alert. You don't sleep on the job. There's lambs out there. They belong to Jesus. And there's wolves circling all the time. Be alert. Be alert. And then Paul says, remembering that day, night and day, for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one of you with tears. He talks about his time spent. There's been some churches that say, well, elders should only serve three years for that. That's way out of context. Eldership, deacons, is a lifetime commitment until God, unless God removes you for one reason or another. Now notice, as we think about this, elders indeed give an account to the chief shepherd. Turn to Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. We've mentioned here in Acts 20 that elders are called by the Holy Spirit. We shepherd his blood-bought church. But the 
the Jewish and Hebrew Christians in the New Testament in the first century were transitioning out from under the Levitical instruction, which had gone south because they rejected Jesus Christ, now to under New Testament biblical leadership that was being developed in the first century. So the writer of Hebrews in chapter 13, verse 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them. Now, I don't know, there's a lot of pastors that love to throw this verse around. Hey, the Bible says right here, obey and lead, and I tell you to give because I need a new jet, you give. <laughs> I, I know you know that. A good Bible teaching church, uh, their, their, their members know what God has called them to do. But I, look, I go past that phrase, understanding that, but I go past the phrase, and I begin to understand this, for they keep watch over your souls. That's what we do. You know, that's what we talk about all the time. We don't, we don't talk about you in a gossip way. We talk about your soul. Is that person growing in Christ? Oh, that, that couple's gone through such a difficult time. Are, are they growing? Are they turning to Christ? Oh, they've had a tragedy. Let's, let's help them realize that, that God is sovereign in, in tragedy and he loves you and he comforts you. And, and Brian Sheely comes up and preaches a message like he did last week to, to, to care for your soul. See, we watch over your souls. And not just because it's the position we give, it's our job we have, but as those who give an account, look at that. You want to be a pastor? Are you ready to stand before God and tell him what you did with his sheep? It's a daunting task. <laughs> that statement always sends just a bit of a chill up and down my neck. <laughs> okay, God, there's a day coming where I'm going to give an account for you along with the rest of our elders. The Bible has another admonition here for you. It says, let them do this with joy and not with grief. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> Most of the flock is really enjoyable. And I'm going to be careful, and I'm going to look right over the top of your heads. <laughs> oh, your wonderful lamb's out jumping around in the grass, and we go, hey, we're going up to a new pasture here. We're starting soul care. We're doing discipleship. Um, we're preaching. We're doing all this stuff. We're going to do VBS. Most of you are just nice little lambs that bounce along and say, hey, pastor, where are we going? You're a joy. Your joy. But there are those, and this is why this is in the Bible, that are a grief to shepherd. They fight you on everything. And it's not that we cannot be addressed or talked to, but it's how it's done. It's also divisive, right? Divisiveness starts to take hold because they have a view that, that they need to express. And they begin to cause grief to the pastors and to the church. Notice the last phrase, this will not be profitable for you. That's a real warning. See, this is why anyone who desires to lead the flock of Christ must demonstrate God's calling. And that calling is witnessed by these consistent personal holiness and doctrinal purity and self-sacrifice and spiritual discipline and a, and a Christ-centered devotion that, that you see that in these men. And when you squeeze them, that comes out of them. The role of an elder, a pastor, an overseer, it can't be taken lightly because it cost Christ his blood. It's his church. An elder's worship of Christ and his word is it's reflected in his character and his service. It grips him. He's, he's overwhelmed with the truth. Message after message, study after study, counsel after counsel, he's overwhelmed with the truth of the Lord and his glory. And that word holds him where God wants him in a very high standard. Luke chapter 12, Jesus said, for anyone who has been given much, much will be required. I know as elders, we've been given a lot to care for your souls. It's quite a cost. And the Bible says, anybody who's been given much, much will be required. Jesus himself is saying, to whom they've entrusted much, of him they will ask 
all the more. Mark chapter 10, towards the end of his ministry, verse 42 and following, he says, he calls the disciples to himself and said to them, you know that those who are recognized as rulers in the Gentile, the pagans, lord it over their people. And their great men exercise authority over them. But it is not this way among you. Man, you could, boy, you could hear a pin drop in this room. They've already been talking about, well, who's going to be the greatest? <laughs> who's going to sit on the left and right? And Jesus says, this should not be among you. This should not be a part of you. Whoever wishes to become great among you must be a servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you has to be a slave. And then he gives himself as example, for even the Son of Man did not come to serve, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. What an example. See, elders follow the chief shepherd who laid his life down for the flock. Now, he could purchase your soul, remove its, the sin for eternity, but we still follow him in laying our lives down. Do you want to be an elder? Are you willing to lay your life down. James chapter 3, what a good warning this is. Verse 1, let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that such will incur a stricter judgment. Want to be in ministry? And I think this is beyond, this verse here is beyond eldership or deacon. You want to teach Bible study? Some of you are, I want to teach, pastor, I want to teach. Great, great. Do you, do you know there's a stricter judgment coming with it? Do you know that you're about ready to say, thus says God? Are you willing to commit to the study to get that right? Responsibilities of elders. Notice in verse 5, I'll drop down and look at these. Uh, in, I'm back in 1 Timothy chapter 3. I'll drop down to verse 5 because there's a statement there that I want to key on as we think about responsibilities. It says this, but if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? Well, see, that's the key responsibility, is taking care of the church of God. It's not ours, it belongs to him. River Bend Church, its lead head elder is Jesus. The rest of us, other nine, we are uh, under shepherds. In, in a sense, there's a Greek word that kind of speaks about us in the New Testament, that we're galley rowers. <laughs> we're down there pulling on the oar, and, and Christ is calling out the strokes. That's, that's how he wants his church cared for. See, God has given the elders the responsibility to hold authority over his church. But it's done only through the submission of Christ. And I want you to hear this, church. Though God has granted us and given us authority over you, it comes through our submission to him. That's why you can submit to us. If, it does, if we're not submitting to Christ, you should leave and go to another church. But if you're elders, like I believe this group of nine men do, we bend the knee to the lordship of Jesus Christ. He's everything to us. There's a word in the New Testament Proestemai is a, a word that we get translated rule or charge or over or manage. It's used many places and applies to elders in many different ways. Romans chapter 8, verse, excuse me, 12, verse 8 says, um, He who leads, proestemai, leads with diligence. You can't be an elder and be wishy washy, like, well, I, you know, I, I know the Bible says that we should, you know, not let wolves into the church, but I'm scared of them. <laughs> no, no. There's a diligence to this. The time is short. Jesus is going to return. He's going to see if his bride is waiting. <laughs> Are you ready? See, one of the things we do is go, hey, don't give up. This thing has a great end to it. <laughs> see, there's diligence to it. 1 Thessalonians 5, 12, but we request of you, Paul's writing to the Thessalonica church, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you, and here's our word, have charge over you, here, here's the key phrase, in the Lord, and give you instruction. Our charge, our proistomai, is in the Lord over you. First Timothy, here in this passage, we see the word management. He must manage his house world if he's going to ever manage the church of God. 
Chapter 5, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17, the elders who rule proistomai well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. So proistomai is designates a position of oversight entrusted to the elders by Christ himself, showing that there is no earthly authority but Christ that is higher than that rule or that charge that we have. And so we don't have a church that has a bishop somewhere up somewhere who's over us and then he's got someone over him and so forth. This is the local church. God charged this church to have elders and God has raised those men. What a beautiful thing. And when this authority is recognized as God-given, then the local church is not coerced in submission. They gladly follow their leaderships. And uh, we, we count it such a joy. Often in our elders' meetings, we say, what a privilege to pastor this church. So many joyful sheep and lovers of Christ who love to follow the under-shepherds as we follow Jesus. Now, though it is God who calls the elder to lead the church, it's important to emphasize that the congregation doesn't belong to us. One of my favorite passages on eldership, I'm just going to refer to it, is 1 Peter chapter 5. There the Bible tells us that we, as elders, would be among the flock several times. But there the elders are charged as managers and caretakers and overseers and stewards of God's flock. So again, I hit this, and I hit this hard, because it's not Scott's church or Brian's church or anybody else's. It's one of those things when someone comes up to you and go. You know, say, Scott, how's your church doing? And I know what they mean, but you kind of chill it like, no, 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 it's not mine. (laughs) My blood would only send them all to hell. (laughs) You don't want me dying for you. (laughs) I needed my Savior to die for me and you. And so it's his. It belongs to him. He purchased it with his son's blood. Acts chapter 20, we saw that. So the elder, he has to give an account for the care and handling that flock. That flock. Thus, the calling of an elder must not be uh, taken lightly by the elder himself or the flock. Now, there's a key word in verse 2. And it's really the difference, really the one of the only differences between the deacon and the elder. Notice in verse 2 that he is able to teach. The old English might say apt to teach. Well, this means he he teaches sound doctrine. He gives clear biblical counsel. He's able to refute error and false teaching. And so the elder must be able to rightly divide the word of God. That's what Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.15. Rightly divide it. He has to cut it straight. You know, this is hard when you're preaching through 1 Corinthians in this day and age. <laughs> Ooh, boy, if I handle gender and, and homosexuality and all that stuff, boy, you know, we're going to become a target. People are going to leave the church. No. Preach the word. Cut it straight. Friday, I ran into a young man, um, and I have no idea who he was. He just came up to me. He recognized me. He said, Pastor Scott, I've never met you, but I want to tell you, I live in Ormond Beach, and I was online searching for a church that would preach on the problems with the gender and marriage and all this is going on, and I could only find you. And I said, well, you found Riverbend. And, and he said, man, I'm so grateful. That series on 1 Corinthians 9 has encouraged my soul. He doesn't even go here. He's actually a member of another church in town. See, we need, that's what elders do. We cut it straight. We're not here to build the church. Somebody else does that. We have a verse, don't we? I will build my church and the gates of will not prevail against it. See, this is what we do. We preach the word in season and out of season. And sometimes the pastor is in season. (laughs) He's being hunted. But thank God we're surrounded by people, men and women, boys and girls, young people, young adults who love the word of God. Besides preaching and teaching, the elders are responsible for many things. (laughs) Biblically determining church policy, right? And function, how the church is going to operate. Training faithful men, raising up more elders, making disciples, being an example to the flock, protecting the flock, praying for the flock, guarding against our own hearts, (laughs) and watching for those who are trying to devour God's flock. And again, this is all done by God's design and His oversight 
when you study Revelations 2 and 3, there are seven churches that the most of them fail, that the leadership in the church is now an example of what not to do. What about some of these qualifications? Well, both 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7, and Titus 1, 6 through 9 have qualification lists. But I want to tell you this, when you study these, the key word, the, the most overarching principle is this above reproach. It's kind of an umbrella over the qualifications. The elder needs, by God's grace, to be consistently above reproach in these areas. And because there is only one perfect chief shepherd, right, the Lord Jesus Christ, these qualifications are marked in a man that he's consistent in these areas. Now these men who oversee Christ's church must be free of sin, consistently free of sin. You just, you can't camp in sin and do this. <laughs> you know why? Uh, one, it's a very hypocritical and poor. But let me tell you personally, if I have issues in my life that I have not cleared up with the Lord, I go to look at this passage and it just looks blank. <laughs> it is the worst feeling. My wife will tell you, I've made trips home, made phone calls, honey, I need to talk to you. There's things that you take care of because, because I need the, the vibrant work of the Spirit in my life to help me understand this text, to get it right. And so God challenges us to be these men who are above reproach. God removes elders who are not above reproach. He removes elders who bring reproach to the gospel, to his son, to his church. What would you, think about this in this day and age, who would you let watch your children? You would let watch your children. Does some guy off the street? Well, he's got a nice car. Here's our kids. We'll be gone indefinitely and we'll get back to you, but only the father knows when we're coming back. I mean, I'm, I'm being kind of funny, but think about it. Christ left us with his children and said, I'm coming back. Be ready. Care for my flock. Well, Paul's instructions are clear. And there's really, I want to just go through these lists and then we'll move to deacons here. Uh, First Timothy and Titus teach us that both say we need to be above reproach. Both are husband of one wife, and this is a very important one. For many churches, they've said that man can't be divorced. Uh, they have to be married. <laughs> uh, all of those things. But that's not what the text teaches. The Greek literally says he's a one-woman man. He's devoted to that. Now, think about that. Of, um, if a man was divorced before he was, uh, before he was saved, I mean... Uh, now, a lot of times when there's divorces, there's difficulties. We've written a paper on this. If you want to see this, our elders have put out a paper on this. We've given it to many of you. Um, uh, but, but think about that. that that's, not what the that's not what he's teaching. And I know so many churches have got caught up in this. But he's a one-woman man. He's devoted. He's not flirtatious. He's not running around on his bride. That's the idea. We're talking about first century. Many of these men who came to faith in Jesus Christ had multiple wives. When you lived in Corinth, you had all kinds of stuff, but now you got saved. <laughs> now, there are consequences, right? Even of sin before we were saved, right? And sometimes those things are what stop men from going forward. Sometimes, but not in every case. But both, of, both the texts are clear, and there's a one-woman man. Um, uh, Timothy says they need to be sober-minded. Titus says they need to be disciplined. Both said they need to be self-controlled. Man out of control can't handle God's word in his flock. They'll abuse him. Respectable and humble is the idea in Timothy. Hospitable. If your home is never open to somebody, if you never care for the needs of somebody else, you can't be an elder. Able to teach, Timothy says. Titus says, able to give instruction. Both Timothy and Titus say, not a drunkard. You think that would be obvious, wouldn't you? But it's written in both, both texts. You know, in the first century, water was very difficult to get a hold of. Good, clean water. Paul um, admonishes Timothy to have a little wine. His stomach was ailing him. Um, if you drink the water, you get sick a lot of times. And so this is, the Bible is really clear that, that drinking is not the sin. It's drunkenness. It's being out of control. 
And, and there's so much more to that. You can see what the idol of the heart would be and all kinds of problems that would come with this. Some elders refrain from drinking altogether. Others are just very, very careful with it. It also says not violent, but gentle. Or Titus just says not violent, not quarrelsome, not arrogant or quick-tempered. These are the idea of someone who flies off the handle very quickly. Not a lover of money. He's not doing this for greedy gain. Manage his own household well so he can care for the church. But, uh, Titus says he's a good steward. Keeping his children in submission. And this is the one that sometimes stumbles up. And Titus says children that are believers, but it uses the word pistos. And it's the idea that they're faithful. And the reason that we understand that is because our soteriology, our doctrine of salvation, tells us I can't, re- I can't save my kids. So um, someone came up and said, well, you know, so-and-so's kid's not saved. Well, that might take out some of our elders who have adopted. So we know that's not what it's talking about. It's talking about that their children are faithful. They're not rebellious to their parents in the home. See, they've, they're waiting on God to save their children. Some of us have that situation in our lives. They're not a recent convert. I have seen churches lay hands on men so quickly, and the problems that came with that were just overwhelming, destructive to the church. They have a good, the outside, they have a good relationship with outsiders. And then Titus ends this way, he's a lover of what's good, upright and holy. Isn't that a great qualification? A lover of what's good. One more verse just that I would stick in the qualifications of elders is found in 2 Timothy 2, verses 24 through 26. They're actually verses I, I really enjoy. The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, Now listen to this. Be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged. Whew, those are hard. (laughs) With gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance and lead them to the knowledge of truth. They may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been held captive to him to do his will. What What a statement. Let me finish this point. Gentlemen, is there anyone in here that God is calling towards eldership? Is God stirring in your heart for eldership? It's a lifetime commitment. And so God would remove you from it. Is he calling you? Second is deacons. And that's what we've done today is we've installed deacons. Number two, called, qualified, and equipped deacons that serve Christ's church. Notice chapter 3, verse 8 and following. Now as you look down through that... um, we're reminded that these qualifications are very similar. And there's responsibilities given to elders and there's responsibilities given to deacons. But many questions, often I heard this question, what do deacons do? Well, I've seen many churches down through the 30 plus years of ministries where deacons were given everything from lawn care to full control of the church. And when you see it, you got to go... Something's wrong. (laughs) Is the breath of the diaconate from lawn care to full control of the church? And many of you maybe were raised in these churches where the deacon had control of everything, even the teaching pastor and all kinds of things. You might have been through this. Well, among many churches today, there's this wide and diverse view of the role of the diaconate. And some churches don't even have them. They never get to them. Now, when I first came to Riverbend, it was, a, it was fun. There was deacons here. And I loved it. They wanted me to come to a meeting, and they had a statement for me, and then they had a question. Some of you men remember this. They said, first of all, pastor, we think, we believe deacons do more than dispense the Lord's table. I said, you're right. Their next question was, what's the role of a deacon? And we spent a year together. And it was really fun. There was a, at least a dozen men at that time that were deacons. Um, many of them had just been voted and put on there. And as we studied God's word, and every one of those men were good men. I love all of them. Many of them are still here to this day. But as we went through, some of them said, you know what? I- I'm not called to this. I did this because my name got put in a hat. <laughs> 
I, I want to serve God, but I don't think this is my calling. And some of them stepped away. Some of them stepped away from businesses for a while, to going through some very difficult times. Um, just changes. But out of that came a group of men, some of them were on the stage today, that are dedicated, believe God has called them to this ministry till he removes them from it. And what a joy it was studying with them. I've had the privilege now of handing that ministry off to Pastor Paul, and he oversees it now. But every once in a while I slip in those meetings, and I love being with our deacons. They are ministers of mercy. They care for people in a unique way. So what is the role of a deacon? Well, first, a deacon is one of two extremely important offices within the church. We have to understand that there's elder and there's deacon, there's no other offices. And and we have to understand that. Paul wrote to the Philippian church, he said... Paul, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, listen to this, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and the deacons. So we see early on, as the church begins to develop in that first century, they've moved away from the Levitical control. They start to move away from the oversight of the elders that were in Antioch, because that's the way it started at first, as the churches were getting planted. But then Peter and Paul say, go obtain elders in every city. The church was being localized. It was starting to have its autonomy. A second truth about deacons is that a godly man, a deacon must be a godly man who consistently serves the Lord in his church with Christ-like behavior and an example to the flock as they submit to the elders. Look at chapter 1 Timothy 3, verse 8. Deacons, likewise, must be men of dignity. Pastor Paul read this text this morning. Men of dignity. Isn't that a great word? It's a word that, as you think about it, you can see this in someone. They're not just an outward, but there's something inward coming from them that they are dignified men. They, they are men who conduct themselves with godly character. That's, that's the idea here. They are not men who act one way on a Sunday and act a different way on Monday. Notice the Bible says that they're not double-tongued. The American Indian used to say he has a forked tongue. <laughs> they don't say one thing out of one side of their mouth and say another or something else. They're not addicted to much wine, meaning they've lost their control, or they're fond of sordid gain. That would be terrible because they control our benevolence and all the money that goes to benevolence. Our deacons oversee all those funds how to care for people. And if they're after sordid gain, who knows what they could do that. That's why these have to be godly men who will care for the funds and the care for the church in this way. Verse 9, notice this, and Paul pointed this out. But holding to the mystery of the faith, isn't that amazing with a clear conscience? See, the elders are told to be able to defend the doctrines, preach and teach with authority, all of those things. But here the deacons are told that they must hold to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Well, what does that mean? Well, let me tell you what does it mean. It is free willism is not a mystery. Free willism, well, I got saved because I chose God. And God just had to wait for me. There's really no mystery to that, right? You had the authority. You decided to get saved. And so you surrendered your life to God. That's not what this is about. This is a powerful term for deacons. Deacons must hold onto that mystery that God, before the foundations of the world, chose his son who would die for our sins, chose his elect who would come to know him, and he would shed his blood upon those for all of eternity. They must get their mind around that. And so in our questionnaire that Paul referred to, men have to, uh, to write down their doctrinal belief on some of these areas. The, di- the diaconate is not nearly as, as, as deep on the questionnaire as it is uh, for the eldership, but yet it's there. I love that. I love that our, our deacons, when I sit in a deacon's meeting, they all understand the sovereignty of God. They're clear on it. Now, now it's still a mystery in some things because you go, oh, God, this is, wow, how, how did you do this? But they have their minds around it. And you know why it's so important when you deal with ministry of mercy and you understand the sovereignty of God? Because people go through very, very hard things. And they're suffering greatly. And you don't have an answer for it. You don't know why God let that happen. But you better understand that he's perfect in all of his ways. And you better go there knowing you have a loving God, though perfect, and allowed something in that person's life that you can encourage them. That's a deacon. 
you want to be a deacon? This is what God is calling men to. Verse 10, these men must also first be tested. If you walk up this morning, you say, Scott, I think, I, I think God's calling me a deacon. I go, great, let's start the process. Let's get going. Because it's going to be a process. And you're going to be tested. Because we want to make sure it's God calling you and not Scott calling you. Right? And so you're tested. And then let them serve as a deacon. Let them minister as the idea, as this minister of mercy. If they are beyond reproach, it stops and talks about their wives. I think the SV does a better job with this first word in the Greek there. It is a word that can be translated women or, or wives. Here I think it is best translated. This is my opinion. Um, wives must be likewise dignified, not malice gossips, but temperate and faithful in all things. What an important aspect of leadership's wives. Have you ever been to a church where you love the pastor, but the wife, whoo. <laughs> I have had to deal with those before. I've had to counsel young men who need to help lead their wives through some things. That's a problem sometimes. And so not only do we look at that elder and we speak with that wife to make sure that she sees what we see in her husband and she tells us what happens behind closed doors, meaning this, is saying, this man, yes, he's not perfect, but yes, he is consistently loves the Lord, loves us. But we also want to make sure that she loves the Lord Jesus because the deacon has a wife and they minister along with them. Notice verse 12, the deacon must be a husband of one wife. We've spoken about that. It's a one-woman man. He's a good manager of his children and household. I mean, when we hand off the finances of the benevolence fund to the deacons and they can't even pay their own bills, we got problems, right? But then look at verse 13. One of my favorite verses on the diaconate here. For those who have served well, it's a key word right there, serve, minister. Those who have served well as deacons, look at this. You think this is some kind of lesser role to elders? It's a different role. It's subordinate to the elders, but it is a powerful role. They obtain for themselves a high standing and great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. <laughs> what a statement. You think the deacons are just some guys that serve communion? Oh my goodness, this is far more than that. These are men who serve alongside the elders and have a godly standing in front of their Savior. The diaconate ministry first appeared in Acts chapter 6, still under the council of Jerusalem and Antioch. Um, there was a problem with the Hellenistic Jews. There was, there was um, in the native Jews, uh, the, the Hellenistic Jews who spoke Greek, who felt like the women were not getting cared for, um, because the, the Hebrew-speaking believers, new, new Christians, they were receiving all the help, the widows, and, and these Hellenistic Jews were being um, just discarded in some way. And so the elders um, that oversaw the entire church at that time, this is before the church started breaking into its autonomous groups, said, let us bring seven men up, right? And I wish I had time to go this, but you should look at this today. It's Acts chapter 6. We love Acts chapter 7 because that's Stephen's great sermon. But out of Acts chapter 6 comes the deacon, Stephen. Which is super powerful because you realize it says, that, it says that they have to hold to the mysteries of faith. It doesn't say they have to teach or preach. But I'll tell you what, a lot of our deacons can teach and preach. And Stephen did as well. And so you see the kind of quality of men. It says, it says that they're dwelled by the Spirit. Um, they're, they're men of faithfulness. He says, pick for those rooms. Because what was happening, now the needs of the church was growing. There's issues going on. And, and the elders were being pulled away from their study and their oversight and their shepherding care to deal with some of those issues. And so we first begin to see a diaconate start to come from there. Now later on, um, Paul begins to take this uh, this teaching of di the diaconate, and, he, and through the inspiration here we see in this passage, he begins to give details and qualifications to what, to what the elders in Jerusalem were talking about. Now, when we pursue this word diaconate, this is real important, I want to just be brief on this, but I want us to get this. Every time we pursue this word, we come up with this term servant or minister. And so it, throughout the New Testament, throughout 
the Old Testament Septuagint, even Old Testament extra-biblical materials, every time we pursue this word, we find this idea of ministering um, and serving. So the diaconate has this idea because it's always connected to mercy in some way. A lot of times it's connected to Jesus. He, he deaconed mercy. He ministered mercy. We find it that way used. So we come up with this idea, and this is what we call our deacons, ministers of mercy. And that's, that's what they do. Tim Keller in his book on ministries of mercy said this, mercy is the impulse that makes us sensitive to hurt, which may lack in others, but makes some want to alleviate that hurt. It's one of the qualifications that we look for in our deacons. Do they want to alleviate? Do they care for souls that they can come along who need mercy and they'll be able to supply that? It's a very important part. Throughout the ministry of the diaconate, the local church is now able to organize mercy ministries. They can help the poor. They can help the jobless. They can help the sick. They can help the widows. All of this is happening in our church. The elderly, the shut-ins, the refugees, the refugees, um, those with special needs. But the church is in a welfare system. So, so they have to know how to, they have to have godly discernment how to dispense this money in a right way. And so a deacon is not some guy who hasn't studied his Bible. He's, he's got to know the Bible because there's a tremendous amount of discernment that needs to take upon them, whether this person thinks we're some kind of welfare program. And you can't believe how many times that happens. And when we say no to somebody who just drove off the highway, they're mad at us. <laughs> As though we're some government that just handed, oh, sure. <laughs> There takes biblical discernment of know who to help and believe us. We try to help all kinds of people and are helping all kinds of people. James 1.27 says that we are to care for the orphans and widows. This is true and purified and undefiled religion. And this is what the diaconate does. And so they head up ministries and they they relieve the elders of some of this task, right? And, And the deacons must work hard at this. They've got to seek um, to figure out how to care for these people. And then they also have to be biblical counselors, and they have to be disciple makers, and they have to handle God's things well. And so it's a, it's a tremendous ministry of stewardship and taking people through difficult times, trials, and circumstances. They don't have limited funds, and so they've got to make wise, godly, biblical, and fiscal decisions here. Well, the New Testament... The deacons always work closely with the elders, and we love that. We're trying to continue to create that that relationship with our deacons. But like the shepherds, they they have to meet these biblical qualifications. And like the shepherds, they have to be officially examined and approved both by the elders and the church. We've done that. Like the shepherds, they hold an office within the church that's a position of trust. So when we lay hands on these men, as we've done this morning, this is an... This is something that a lot of work goes into and a lot of trust in God. And I want you, I, I hope you're excited as I am. Anytime there's men on this stage that have been their hands laid on them, it's a beautiful thing. Whether we're sending them to the mission field, we're ordaining them for the ministry, or deacons who come to show ministry to the church. I wrote a definition just yesterday. I sat down and just wrote off the top of my head, so I hope this comes out all right. A deacon is a minister of mercy. He's the diaconate. They are men who are called, qualified, and equipped who consistently model Christ for the local church and the lost world. They show God's compassion and kindness, mercy and love, but through godly and biblical discernment. I think that's what they are. Men. Is God calling you to be a deacon? If he's pushing you, don't miss that. Finally, with the time I have gone, uh, I want to talk about the, the members of the church quickly here. Call, um, number three, calling, qualification, equipping of the members of Christ's church. Ephesians chapter 10, uh, 2, verse 10 says that, that we are his workmanship, right? Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared in advance for us, right? So we've talked about deacons, we've talked about elders, but if you're a believer in here, God has prepared good works for you to do. Are you doing them? 
Can you say, I'm doing what God has called me to do? The Bible says that we are to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. That's not, that's not a passage, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, for elders and deacons. It's for everyone. Are we walking in a manner worthy of our calling? Romans chapter 12, verse 4 and 5 says that we're many members in one body, but we don't have the, all the same function. See, that's what makes a church work, right? There's these arms and hands and legs, and the church works together. A biblical church should be like an athlete running. Arms swinging, legs pumping, children's ministry, nursery, elderly cared for, preaching, teaching, mercy being given, all of that, right? It's all happened that's that well-oiled machine running in obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Paul says, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. He urges us by the mercies of God to present our bodies as living sacrifices. This is what God asks us to do as a worship to him. The apostles all shared the same theology. Peter said, the end is near, chapter 4. Therefore, be of sound judgment, a sober spirit, purpose of prayer. Above all things, be fervent and love one another. He said, well, what do I do, Scott? Love one another. <laughs> Amend wrongs. Start there. Love somebody in this church. Love a lot of people. <laughs> Don't be afraid to give your seat up, to greet somebody, to go to Pastor Bobby and say, I want to be a greeter. I need to learn to love people. Can I watch you? Can I stand with you? Can I see how you love people? Find somebody who loves somebody and say, teach me how to love people. You know my testimony. I didn't love people when, when I first went in the ministry. My, my our pastor wouldn't let me near the pulpit. Because <laughs> I'm going to teach you how to love people. Go hand bulletins out and ask them how they're doing. Actually care about them. <laughs> You're saying? <laughs> he was right. Go learn how to love people. Pray. Every member in this church can pray. Do you have a list? Do you have a list in your Bible? That you have a prayer request of people you heard in our church going through difficult things, surgery, cancer, whatever it may be, financial struggles. Are you praying for people? I mean, there's a list. I mean, you, you know I'm going to talk about children's ministry at some point. Have you done your tour through the nursery? <laughs> to our duty here. All of those things. In fact, I don't know what I did. With it. Oh, here it is. We have a booklet. Jerry told me this morning there's 63 active ministries in our church in this book. It's out back. There's stacks of them. We count them every once in a while. None are gone. <laughs> See, every believer has been gifted by the Holy Spirit. And Hayward, if you're waiting to sing, you're not going to get to because I'm going to finish this. <laughs> Spirit has gifted us. And so elders have responsibilities, deacons have responsibilities, but every member has a responsibility. Are you exercising your gift? Are you living it out with zealousness? Are you producing the good works that God prepared in advance for you to do? I want you to ask that question. I want you to be dead honest with God. God, am I producing the good works that you before the foundations of the world had prepared for me? Am I even touching them? Or am I so consumed with what I have going on in this life? That's a good question. It's hard, isn't it? You know, say, Scott, you don't know my life. I'm a widow or a widower or, a, or I'm sick or I'm this and that. Well, what can you do? Some of the greatest prayer warriors I've ever known couldn't get out of bed. I mean, there's always something we can do. God has given the church, and so the church is pictured by Paul of this body that's moving in one accord. They sing praises and live praises to God in one accord. In, in a church that has good elders and good deacons, it's a temptation to say, oh, we got good leaders here. That was great preaching. Let's go to Cracker Barrel. See, every single member is charged throughout the Bible to be encouraging, praying, exhorting, serving, admonishing, teaching, building up one another, caring for one another, loving one another, forgiving one another, bearing one another's burden, uh, burdens, thus fulfilling the law of Christ. I just read you about 10 verses. All given to the church. See, this is what we call a one another community. Not just an elder and deacon leading a church. It's a one another moving together. Man, it's that sweet arm swinging, legs pumping church that loves Jesus. You want to be that? Because a taking church doesn't get used by God. 
Many of you serve in so many ways, and I want to speak for the elders here. We are so grateful. Many of you serve, and sometimes I don't see you, and it's because you've been down in children's ministry for a while. You've been down rocking babies so moms can hear the word of God. But some maybe are not, and I would challenge you as Jesus challenged um, in parables, is your lamp full of oil? Is the wick trimmed? Are you ready for the master be, to return? Don't be shocked when he comes with your hands in something that's not of his business. Are you ready? Are you ready to go when he comes? This is his church, and he wants to know what we're all doing with it. So brothers and sisters, if you have desires to serve, whether that's eldering um, or, or the diaconate or women's ministries or children's ministries or a na- a 63 other ones that are in there, if you have the desire, come see us. Run with us. Let's run together. And let's see what the Lord would do. If you're a young person here in our college and career, let me speak to you just for a moment. I'm very proud of you. Our church has a very healthy young married, young college and career, and a healthy student ministry. And these, these young people are not slackers. They study hard. Our crossroads ministry is going through the book of Romans. These are young men and young women uh, waiting to see God, waiting on God, but not waiting with empty hands. They're serving the Lord, many of them, in many different ways. And I'm proud of you. Those who are elderly in here. I can't thank the Lord enough for our seniors' ministry. Our seniors get it done around here. And I'm, I'm so blessed to be your pastor and, and to care for you in many ways. And let me say this if you still have breath in you, serve. It's going to be worth it. Because someday we're going to cross that finish line and know those sweet words from our Savior. Welcome in, my good and. 1 Corinthians 3 says there's some that will come in by fire. Boy, we don't be that, do we? So we started this year out with a challenge. It was called Love Without Limits. That's really what I'm talking about. Loving Jesus Christ and one another without limits. God, I, I can do more. You can stra- I know I'm tired. I'm going through this. I'm going through that. But I know you loved me and did this for me. I can love you more and I can serve you. Will you rise to that challenge? Father in heaven, I thank you for this time together. I thank you for this challenging message. Um, Lord, we need to talk about your ecclesiology for the church every once in a while. It seems like it can just get away, and it's about one man uh, that's in the pulpit or, or one group of men or something, Lord. But the ecclesiology tells us it's about leadership. It's about membership. It's about a well-oiled, uh, functioning body that runs for the glory of Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, remind us today that we're part of something bigger, something far better than just ourselves. It's, it is the body of Christ bought with the blood of Jesus. So, Lord, I pray even now there's men being stirred to at least come and begin the process of seeing if they are being called by God for eldership or the diaconate. Women who want to pursue women's ministry, teaching and shepherding and discipling other women. People who want to care for youth and, and young families and, and babies and so forth. God, store in our hearts so where we can serve you. Lord, in this room are many businesses represented. Owners of businesses, employees and employers, Lord. Father, our job does not leave when we're not with this body. It goes there. I pray you continue to give these members who own businesses or work for businesses, give them great opportunity to present you glorious to the world. Lord, help them to be kind and honest, to reflect the character of the Lord Jesus Christ in their jobs. What a great ministry that is, Lord. Father, as we collectively do, as you've called each one of us, walk in a manner worthy of that. Oh, your son will be glorified and we will have a lot of joy. And Lord, we'll finish this race well. That's our goal. And so, Lord, we ask you to help us. Stir our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you stand with me for a closing benediction?
Dear gracious, heavenly, kind Father, in your love you reached down and saved us from certain eternal death. And that truth alone causes us to worship you and creates within us a desire to serve you. Father, we pray today that you would awaken us afresh. Give us new desires to serve you throughout all of our days. We ask you, Father, to raise up elders and deacons and women ministry leaders. Father, we ask you to raise up young adults who are ashamed, unashamed of, a, of God's word and raise up students who will graciously stand for Christ and lead others to truth. May every member of this church desire to serve you in this flock, in their homes, in their neighborhoods, on their jobs, and every path that you leave this. May the glory of your Son, Jesus Christ, his marvelous finished work, constantly amaze us and cause us to be in full worship of you so that we serve you. To you be the glory now and forever. Amen.